Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. I read a book a week. I have for 17 years. The very first time I came to Austin, I mean, this was long before I ever decided to move here, I was on the hunt for a book, and I spied book people from across the street, and I had to be in there. The smell of the books, the ambiance, and the place was just packed with people. As soon as I went through that store, I realized that I was going to be in Austin for the rest of my life. I'm Ken Dunn, and this is I Love You So Much. Welcome to I Love You So Much, the Austin 360 podcast, a show for everyone caught up in an ongoing love affair with Austin, even if it's complicated. I'm your host, Tali Mosley. I'm Omar Gayaga. And I'm Addie Broyles, coming to you from the shores of Lady Bird Lake in the offices of the Austin American Statesman. In this week's episode, we welcome meditation teacher and cancer survivor Paige Davis. She joins us to talk about her new book, Here We Grow, Mindfulness Through Cancer and Beyond, and using mindfulness techniques to heal from the inside out. care to rock is on a mission to change the lives of foster children through music. The online music lesson company teaches you how to rock out and pairs its teachers with foster children who also want to learn. Our own Omar Gayaga is fresh off his guitar lesson, and we chat with founder Karen Scott. Did you eat Mrs. Baird's bread as a child? Did you take a field trip to the factory as a child? In this week's Web Report, social media editor Eric Webb tells us the real story behind Ninny Baird, a female Texan entrepreneur extraordinaire. We'll end, as always, with our recommendations in a toast. But first, Paige Davis. When the Blue Avocado founder was diagnosed with breast cancer at age 38, her reaction was pretty shocking. Instead of waging a battle against cancer, she embraced the diagnosis. In this segment, she tells Addie why. Thanks for coming to the studio, Paige. Thanks for having me. So how did Oprah affect your cancer journey? Yes, I like to tell people I actually grew up um, Jewish in Tulsa, Oklahoma. There were five Jewish people in my high school. Two were my cousins. And while I always appreciated the cultural and traditions of Judaism, I really never connected spiritually. So as we were talking about, like most people, I found my spiritual guidance through Oprah. So literally every day after school i would run home and um you know rush to see who her guest was and at the time her spiritual programming was pretty sporadic but she had all the main people wayne dyer marianne williamson christian northrop deepak chopra um and one day i remember she had a guest named bernie siegel and he had written a book called love medicine and miracles And it was about how tools like meditation and visualization can help people um, who are going through cancer or heart disease. And I was just fascinated. And I had no idea what he was talking about, but it was about the mind-body connection. And after, I just begged my mom to take me to the bookstore. And so 
you know, at 13, when most girls my age were reading Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, I was reading Love, Medicine, and Miracles by Bernie Siegel because of Oprah. (laughs) And thank God you found that book because 20 years later, you found yourself really needing it. Yeah. Can you walk us through the, you know, so your new book really chronicles the, the the deep inner work that happens when you go through a diagnosis, a surgery, and then recovery from cancer. Uh, but you had this tool, not just this one tool, but you had lots of tools. And, and you write that you'd kind of been preparing your whole life. Can you give us sort of the run, the, the sure. shortened version of that very intense time? Yeah. I mean, I tell people that um, my cancer diagnosis was less my crisis point and more a landing pad of just all the tools I'd been exploring my whole life. So I've always been interested in wellness and the mind-body connection. And I used to own a Pilates studio here in Austin. And, um, you know, it's just always been a part of my life. And then about six years ago, um, when I was with Blue Avocado, I was just kind of your stereotypical stressed out entrepreneur on the verge of burnout, desperate for something. So I did what a lot of us do. I started Googling mm-hmm. <laughs> and I landed on my first meditation training with Deepak Chopra in the Chopra Center. And it was a game changer. And I learned I had a lot of misconceptions around meditation, primarily that it's okay to have thoughts. Um, but I also learned that it's really a set of tools to help soothe our nervous system so we can be more present in high demand situations. So it was literally, you know, as I was sitting on the table, I had just heard the words, I broke down. And then after a few moments, they wanted to do an immediate biopsy. And as I saw the needle about to enter my breast, I did the only thing I knew to do in that moment. And I focused on my breath. Um, just like in my meditation. And I was overcome by this sense of peacefulness throughout my whole being. And I was aware, like, I'm having a devastating moment in my life right now, but there was no denying the peacefulness. And I flashed back to the meditation training and remember one of the teachers saying, you don't meditate to get good at meditation. You meditate to be good at life so you can better cope in stressful situations, be more present, feel more connected. And I remember thinking, oh, this is why people meditate. And you you were telling me that this uh, presence masquerades as positivity. Yeah, that was one of the main things I heard throughout my journey of people saying, oh, you're being so positive. How are you being so positive? And I was just always confused. And even I'm hearing it about the book and I'm realizing what people are kind of labeling positivity is really about presence. And it's this present moment awareness that really lies at the core of any meditation or mindfulness practice. And, you know, at the end of the day, the past is the past. We don't have control over the future. So the present is really all we have. So we're always much more connected when we're in the present moment. Mm -hmm. And I think there's just a vitality and a connectedness that people can pick up on when someone's really present. And I have, uh, in my experience, encountered the difference between connecting with your feelings and being consumed by them. Yes. And sort of letting that awareness of your feelings become the monster that then gobbles you up. Yes. And so how, during this process, how did you find that dance between your inner self of, you know, getting to know your inner self while also reaching out and asking for help when you need it? Yeah, I mean, I think 
this is where meditation mindfulness really had it's like it had been training my brain and my body and so in a very tangible way when I was having real emotions I know that it's important to feel the physical sensations of the emotions versus getting caught of the story around the emotions so that was very helpful and you know I just I knew part of this journey for me was about like it really does take a village um, where it's part of the human condition um, to connect with other people. So um, I think I was really craving that. And luckily, I had an amazing support system that really, um, you know, showed up for me. And I w- it's, it's the give and the receive of it. So the cancer diagnosis and subsequent surgery and recovery has really changed your life. Yeah. Can you talk about what you have done in the five years since that all took place? Sure. So as I mentioned, I was an entrepreneur going into it, and um, I was still working part-time as I was going through the surgeries and treatment. But um, after I finished chemo, six months of chemo, I knew just the role that meditation and mindfulness had played for me, and I knew I wanted to deepen my own practice. So that's when I started to get some training. Um, I started working with a teacher out in Sedona, and so now I'm actually teaching meditation and mindfulness in the workplace. So um, for startups, executives, so it really has been a full circle wow. experience. Well, and it's a reminder that you don't have to go through cancer to feel like you're in the middle of a crisis that is too overwhelming to deal with. Yeah. And that meditation can be something that all of us can use, you know, even as common as our workplace settings. So what are some of the things that come up when people are talking to you? You know, you're in a workplace, maybe a startup, and you're trying to sort of convey this connection, this very emotional, it's a very spiritual connection, but in a workplace. I mean, how do you bridge that gap? You strip out the spiritual. (laughs) You don't say the word. (laughs) the good news is that neuroscience is catching up to what these ancient spiritual traditions have been saying for thousands of years. So I focus a lot on the neuroscience. I'll use slides and and making it really um, about stress reduction and focus and enhanced communication and really making it relevant to the workplace. Because the truth is, you don't have to be spiritual or go to a mountaintop to practice meditation. Um, but if you are spiritual, it absolutely will enhance that. But it is not a requirement. And the type I teach really is secular. One key component to meditation seems to be visualization. Yes. Can you talk to me about how that helped you? Yeah. So one of the main things that was important to me going through my cancer journey is that I wanted to approach it as a love journey. Um, Maybe it's because I was diagnosed on Valentine's Day, so it seemed an overt sign. Um, But I didn't want to really view it through as a battle to be fought. And I wanted to stay away from terms like fight or battle or poison and not because I was naive to the reality and the brutality of cancer. I had um, several family members that have lost their lives, but I think I needed to balance that reality through a more compassionate lens. So one of the ways I did that is um, I worked with my therapist, who's also a Zen Buddhist priest. His name's Flint Sparks um, here in town. And he helped me come up with a visualization where we saw the chemo really is just kind of a loving, friendly energy that was coming in, doing what it needed to do. It's a strong and protective friend. And then really leaving my system. That was important for me. So then I could really visualize myself recovering and getting stronger and eating foods and connecting with people I loved and 
um, it was very powerful for me. And it was, um, I think, a game changer. So you tell this kind of, I mean, now it, through, you're a very funny writer in the <laughs> book. Uh, I was actually laughing out loud in lots of different places when I wasn't crying. Um, but you write about being on Mopac with this heavy news on your heart. Um, how has this experience changed how you interact with this city? When you're going around and you're in traffic, do you have compassion for the people that are around you that you didn't have before? A hundred percent. I mean, and again, this is one of the main tenets of mindfulness. When you can just be present to yourself and the people around you, just little things like looking people in the eye or smiling to the person in traffic or just acknowledging each other when we're standing in line at the grocery store. So, um, yeah, I feel much more connected to myself and to others. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it really has made an impact. What are some ways that people can support people in their lives who are dealing with cancer, some other life-altering illness? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, you know, there's no one-size-fits-all when it comes to a cancer journey. Um I was very clear in what would be helpful for me, but I think a lot of people get scared to reach out, like you don't want to bother the person, but I can promise you, like you can't send too many texts or emails or just let someone know that you're thinking of them. Um, they don't expect a response, but it, it really does uplift people. But in tangible ways, um, offering to run errands, go to the grocery store. If you're doing a Target run, give them a call, see if they need anything. Um, my cousins all rally together and arrange to have um, weekly flowers delivered during treatment, and that was amazing. Um and yeah, and I, you know, had some get-togethers around kind of the big milestones because celebrating the milestones was important for me. So I think it's cancer can be so isolating, so it is important to connect, but everyone's going to do that in their own ways. So just having patience for people. Are there some support groups that you have found or, you know, just basically the cancer recovery community in Austin? What does that look like? Yeah, it's pretty impressive. So the BCRC is a um, big resource for breast cancer survivors. Um, Flatwater Foundation is a wonderful organization that actually provides um, social services for cancer patients and their families um, and everything from therapy to tools like meditation or mindfulness. Um, And yeah, there's tons of um, fitness groups that are supportive. I go to a kundalini group for cancer survivors, and it's been really um, an important part of uh, kind of the the new normal. So That's what I love about Austin is that there's a there's a yoga class for everything. <laughs> yes. There's a group for everything. Yeah. Um, and that's what I think makes our city so special that it's just it's such a wonderful place yeah. to be for no matter what you're dealing with. Exactly. Um, so you're going to be talking about your book at Book People on May 22nd at 7 p.m. Yes. And people can come and uh, hear more about your your entire journey that you've been on so far and what lies ahead. Yes. So, um, well, thanks, Paige, for coming in. I really oh, appreciate thanks it. Thanks for having me. Karen Scott used to be a juvenile courts prosecutor. Now she helps foster care children find hope through music, and music teachers earn money from their laptops. In this episode, she tells us how Care to Rock came to be. (music) 
Heron, welcome to I Love You So Much. Thank you. So I think uh, as, as we're, I wrote a whole story for 512 Tech uh, about Care to Rock, and you know you can go read that if you would, give me some page views. Uh, but why don't you explain to us what it actually is? Because I think I, I, I explained it as you know an educational music learning platform, but it kind of tells how it actually works and, and how people are going to use it. Yeah, it's it's great. It is. You described it well. It's an online music education learning platform. So you can learn guitar, piano, singing, clarinet, whatever it is you want to learn. You can learn online and you just simply go and pick a teacher, book a lesson, and you meet virtually online. Um, and we use a high-tech platform to connect you with your teacher online. And our teachers also volunteer for youth and foster care. So our goal is to really connect communities through this music platform. And it's sort of like um, like video conferencing for music lessons. Exactly. You picture Skype, but much better than Skype. <laughs> we don't use, we use our own platform that's browser to browser, so you never have to download any software and you just click your, open your email or log into your dashboard and you're in your lesson meeting virtually um, video conferencing with your music teacher. I can't even get like a web meeting to go like that. <laughs> like, oh, you got to install this plugin and then this plugin. I'm and, sure oh, there's that plugin a podcast advertisement somewhere that will t- direct you <laughs> many ways to have a meeting, such as GoToMeeting. Oh, yeah. I love Sponsor it. That, yeah, I love it that you just you don't have to download anything because we all do have a lot of software on our, you know, a lot of things that we've downloaded. But it's we would make it very easy for parents and just for people to get into their lesson. And Karen, uh, Care to Rock, and I want I want to pronounce it correctly, Care to Rock. <laughs> That's how I say it in my mind, like a question, a dare. It's a little like bit it. it's a little bit Tom's shoes esque in that you're paying for a lesson and that money supports these teachers who volunteer long term to mentor foster children. Why was it important to you to reach out specifically to children in foster care? Yeah, um and you put that so well, but that is exactly what we do and the the reason well, I really wanted to connect with youth and foster care through this platform is I had been a juvenile prosecutor many years ago in Austin and saw lots of kids in foster care coming through the court system. And most of the kids were really great kids. They just were not, they didn't have community resources available. And as I got involved in the music community here in Austin um, years ago, I started a nonprofit where we connected youth and foster care with musicians for lessons. And they just right away, it was so many kids requesting to come in because they just is a great emotional outlet for them and a really great way for these kids to set goals and just have access to music and the arts that they otherwise did not. And so Care to Rock is an attempt to reach more and more kids with this and be able to bring the best teachers across the country onto the platform from Nashville or Austin and allow these teachers to reach kids in foster care across the country as well through technology. That's so moving to hear. Um, I would love to talk about what it feels like to take a lesson. Unfortunately, we've got our own Omar Gayaga available to talk about that experience. You, at the time of this taping, took it just a few hours ago. Yeah, uh, this this morning I took like a half hour lesson and they're available in increments of of half an hour, right? Or you can do an hour or 45 minutes. Absolutely. 30 minutes is the shortest lesson type. Okay, well I did the 30 minute one just to kind of get a taste of it and, you know, I brought up my laptop in and and an acoustic guitar and just set it up on the table I had a link to connect directly, and then boom, I'm looking at the music instructor, a guy named Michael, who's here in Austin. Uh, and, uh, you know, we got right into it. He's, I was, he kind of asked me, like, what do you know? What, do, what do, would you like to know? 
Um, I told him I know like all of three chords maybe, and I don't really know much else. I don't read music or anything like that, like my daughter. Uh, so we just kind of launched right into it. And, and what was what I liked about it the most, a part that he could see me, I could see him, we could communicate uh, with the webcam. I could point it to my hands. We could see what I was doing. I could see what he was doing with his hands, and he could kind of you know, guide me through it. Uh, was just that you know it wasn't just the lesson like we also chatted a bit we could also talk about like oh you live in Austin what do you do and, and he kind of gave me a little bit of his background like you know what he does musically um, so it was also like a, a very quick kind of getting to know you in addition to just like a straight lesson which you know if you were doing this through like a YouTube video if you were just doing like trying to learn from just watching YouTube videos you wouldn't have that interaction you wouldn't have that couldn't ask questions have the one to one of like well I know how to do this but where do I put my finger to do that you know like you wouldn't have that sort of direct line to someone to interact with in real time so that that's what I found compelling about it cool. and I like it that <laughs> he mentioned the screen views because that is one of the things that we have this really cool is the multiple screen views designed for lessons L- listeners the guitar is coming out <laughs> this is what I learned oh. minor chord all right <laughs> definitely in minor chord Major chord. Yay! Yay. <laughs> oh my God! Can that you was play? What I learned today. <laughs> Can you play Free Fallen? No, I cannot. Talk. <laughs> <laughs> so, Karen, how do you find teachers for Care to Rock? Is it do they come to you? I know you guys just launched. Um, is it word of mouth? Like, how do you find the talent to populate this program? Yeah, we um, recruit heavily in towns like Austin that have a lot of great, talented musicians that are looking to fill their schedules. Maybe they either are a touring musician or they might be a public music teacher and have extra hours to fill on the weekends. It just depends. And we're designed um, to fill those flexible hours that musicians and teachers have to make extra income. So we recruit heavily um, online in in towns where there's a lot of talented musicians around. Um, North Carolina, Nashville, Austin. I mean, we, we typically, we have just word of mouth too because musicians and uh, music teachers really like the impact part of what we're doing so they're excited to not just teach online but be part of what we're trying to do so yeah I imagine it'd be such a great resource for musicians out there because it pays them but there's also heart payment too of extending the mission like you said so I have to tell you guys uh, Omar was at our launch event that we just had and a teacher was there that came up to me and I'm I'm used to hearing this from foster parents or kids in foster care, but the teacher came up to me and said, you've absolutely changed my life through what you're doing. And I was really taken aback because this was a teacher. He's taught this child for the past three years, not through the site, but through my prior work. And he said, I'm, he's going to come to my wedding someday and I'm going to go to his. We'll always be friends. And I've learned so much from teaching him. And so I feel like it is really special not just for the students, but for the teachers, because you're changing someone's life. When you give this skill to a child in foster care, it's literally can change their life completely. I've seen that. So I think that, you know, musicians are, they're giving people and they really do get a lot out of being a part of this. Yeah. yeah when I interviewed Karen for the, the, the story in 512 Tech, I had mentioned that it reminded me a lot of this golf um, app. Uh, I think it's called Pro Swing Tips. Uh, that an Austinite created. And what it reminded me of was that he had sort of the same thing. Like you see all these golf instructors who have all this knowledge, who know all these great things, 
and but they're kind of sitting around the golf course waiting for you know for the lessons to start or whatever if they're an instructor uh, there's a lot of idle time that they could be using to help other people so for them it's like oh well there's this way that I can do it from anywhere at any time absolutely uh, and not not have it be a thing where the person has to come in you know face to face and do it so like I, it struck me as very similar uh, ways of using technology to sort of facilitate like what do you do with all that idle time when you're not when you want to be working and you don't have you know things filling your schedule Right. Um, I was on the website today, Karen, and I saw that it, this is impressive. You guys just launched, but over 300 lessons have been donated so far. What is the kind of feedback that you're getting from kids in the program? I mean, you said it was life changing from the teacher's perspective. How are are the kids able to talk to you and tell you what the experience is like? Because I'm sure you're using that feedback to improve the tool. Yes, exactly. Well, since the website actually just launched, a lot of these teachers have been volunteering for youth and foster care. But now this is the first time to bring all of that online through Care to Rock. So we communicate with the foster parent or the caseworker or the guardian. We have an intake system for them where you just go to our contact us page and you'll you'll see where they can put in the application for the child in foster care. And then we kind of handhold the process with them to make sure they're paired with the right teacher, the foster parent knows how to access the lesson. And this is all just happening now. So it's really exciting. Uh, CASA, our nonprofit partner, has youth and foster care requesting laptops um, through the state of Texas. And so those kids will be picking their teachers and getting ready to come on the, the platform. And the cool thing about that is kids in foster care move a lot. Sometimes they can move up to six times a year. And so it's really tough for them to be able to have a ad- sense of continuity. Yeah, it's it's so unfair to them because a lot of times they can't control where they're moved to. And if they are in band or they are, are learning guitar, they lose that ability to continue. And so um, that what we're really excited about is through Care to Rock, we can get these kids' laptops um, through the state of Texas and through CASA and then get them with a teacher. And when they, if they move, this is something that they can keep doing, um, which is really valuable, the continuity and building the trust with their mentor. It's, it can really change their lives. Uh, well, Karen, if someone's interested in, in, um, in taking lessons or, or signing up, uh, they would go to caretorock.com. What, what's kind of the pricing structure? Like what, what is someone going to pay to do like, a, say, a half hour lesson once a week? Yeah, a half hour lessons are $32. And you, it's very simple to go on. If you have a question about who's the right teacher for you, you just go to our site and you can browse around, shop around, and you can click, click uh, meet your teacher and click a free intro. Meet your teacher online for 10 minutes and just ask them, hey, you know, what you have, Tell, I want to know this and just kind of get to know them or for your child either way. Um, and yeah. And if you if you are on our site, you see a teacher you like, you can just book a lesson. It's thirty two dollars. You just pay. It's a very quick uh, checkout process. And then when it comes time for your lesson, you just click your email like you did, Omar, and just you'll open up and your teacher will be waiting for you there. And it's uh, the requirement is either like a laptop or desktop with a webcam, right? Exactly. You need we we recommend highly that you have a laptop desktop. So it's going to be a better lesson experience for you. Webcam, um, make sure your mic is working and you have Wi-Fi. Well, again, listeners, that's care2rock.com, number two, numeral two, when you visit that website. And Karen has actually made available a special discount code for I Love You So Much listeners. Absolutely. When you're checking out, if you enter LOVE360 as your coupon code, you'll get 25% off. So try us out. It's a great price to come in. 
Karen, thanks so much for coming in and sharing your mission with us. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Welcome to your own web report. How are you? I'm doing great, Omar and Tali. Thanks for having me at my own web report. <laughs> so I am intrigued by the woman that is Minnie Baird, and she was quite an entrepreneur. Uh, what did you find out when you researched her? So Ninia Lily, Ninny, no, excuse me, Ninia Lilla, Ninny Baird. Ninny Baird. Ninny okay. Baird. That is a lot of name. It's true. She's the namesake of Texas's most famous carb pusher. Uh, not car pusher, carb pusher. Mm-hmm. She uh, is a Texas icon. Everyone knows Mrs. Baird, right? Because you know the Mrs. Baird sandwich spread bag. You know the Mrs. Baird uh, fruit pie. You know the Mrs. Baird cinnamon roll package. She's right up there with Mrs. Fields, Mrs. Butterworth. Yeah, she, yeah, she is. You could def- combine def- all those. Def- definitely <laughs> one of the Mrs. But I think the reason that uh, it's such a name among Texans is because it's cheap bread. So we associate mm-hmm. uh, Mrs. Baird bread with barbecues or picnics or family gatherings when you need just a lot of bread. Or field trips growing up. Or field trips growing up. It's like butter crust, but more personal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. So who's the woman behind these crusts? Behind Who's the woman behind <laughs> the bread? Well, uh, here at the Web Report, we uh, wanted to find that out. So we turned to our friends, the Texas State Historical Association, who has an entry online for Mrs. Baird. And we found out uh, she was born in 1869. Uh, she was orphaned. And then later she met Mr. Baird, who was also an orphan. They got married at a very young age and moved from Tennessee to Fort Worth, where this is my favorite like Baird family trivia uh, nugget. Or not really a nugget. My favorite Baird family trivia uh, crumb, <laughs> perhaps. Uh, they brought the first steam popcorn machine to Fort Worth. And it was so successful, they opened up another steam popcorn machine just a couple blocks away. They were entrepreneurial, these they were. Bairds. They, they were. were. Steampunk before. They were steampunk that was a thing. before it was a thing, yeah. And so they took their steam popcorn steam money. Corn. <laughs> steam corn. They took their steam popcorn money uh, and opened up a restaurant where Ninny, Ninny Baird, uh, was the baker. She baked the the breads and the pies. And, and this is cakes. all going down in Fort Worth. This is all going down in Fort Worth. Okay. And then she... <laughs> like, this popcorn's okay, but have you tried the bread? It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> this is pre-keto diet. Yeah, okay. it, absolutely. Yeah, no, there were no... There wasn't a whole lot of uh, gluten-free, carb-light uh, diets going on mm-hmm. in the Baird's time, I don't think. Uh, but Mr. Baird eventually uh, started struggling with some failing health. So Mrs. Baird had to support the family, like the entrepreneur she is. the keto diet. Yeah, perhaps. It's very possible. Uh, and so she started Mrs. Baird's Bread in 1908. And then the rest is history. So that's what, mm, 110 years now? Something like that. So what's, <laughs> I didn't come here to do math, Omar. <laughs> <laughs> what's fascinating to me is that Mr. Baird died at age 34. I mean, that is a really young age to die of diabetes. But mm-hmm. then again, it's the beginning of the 20th century. Sure. And she outlived him by 30, 40 years. So yeah. even though she started the company with her husband, she was really an entrepreneur. Because then there were four cities in Texas that took up Mrs. Baird's uh, factories. It's true. It's true. And uh, she also... Uh, 
when she died at age 92, the Texas Senate uh, honored her as a living example for mothers, wives, business executives, Christians, and good people the world over. So she made quite an impact. I'm most impressed that she's a real person, that she's not just like a brand. Yeah, or something that, like, like, like a character. Like Orville Redenbacher. Like, is that a real person? We'll probably never know. Yeah. Do you all know who is a real person? Is Colonel Sanders. True. I listened to a podcast this weekend where they go to Corbin, Kentucky, and take the... Um, the host to Colonel Sanders' house. So oh, that's awesome. Not only, is he re- not only is he real, he's Reba. Yeah, he's also Reba. He's Reba McIntyre. <laughs> we already knew Colonel Sanders <laughs> is real because we all heard his hit song, Fancy. He's real so. and Reba. <laughs> so, At the same time. Another really great thing about, not Reba, but about Mrs. Baird. And <laughs> Do maybe, you not know how to react? Yeah, what was the segment about again? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I rolled with you, Reba. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you guys are playing it cool. Yeah. I was the one that was like major curveball. I always roll with Reba. But, but anyway. back to Mrs. Baird. Back to Mrs. Baird. So one thing that I really like about her, I think that really shows her Texas gumption, is that she bought a $75 commercial oven from a hotel in 1915. She only paid $25 cash for that, and she paid for the rest of the oven in bread. That's yes. amazing. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Way to go. Yeah. yeah. You want to she, see how much bread by tomorrow before it gets stale? <laughs> okay. She's not a businesswoman. Okay, She's lady. a businesswoman. Yeah, yeah. She, exactly. You know, super savvy there. Um, well, that was quite a, a transition as well as a great piece of information and an even better segment. Eric Webb, thank you for educating us about Ninny Baird. It is my privilege and honor. Thank you, Mrs. Baird, and thank you, Eric. This is the moment in our show where we come to a toast. That's where we go around the table making some recommendations of things we feel you, our listeners, should check out. So, um, Addie, you look like ready to pop out of the chute. Well, I've been reading all weekend. It was Mother's Day, so I allowed myself that. And um, I'm actually finishing a book right now that made me think of two other books, but they're all related. So I'm just going to breeze through them very quickly. I'm really interested in how fruit evolved and how fruit also interacted with our own just evolution as a country and as a global society. And so I never thought about this until I read a book in 2008 called The Fruit Hunters by Adam Gullner. And it is a uh, nonfiction book about just the role that fruit has played since the dawn of civilization in, you know, from hunter-gatherer societies all the way through to today. When you walk through the grocery store and you see these big piles of apples, you know, there are actually thousands of apple varieties, but you only see like eight in the grocery store. So that was kind of my introduction to this world. I really fell in love with like 19th century botanists. Thanks to Elizabeth Gilbert. She wrote The Signature of All Things a couple of years yeah, ago. Yeah, how was that book? I remember it got... It was I'm, beautiful. Oh, yeah. okay. I heard it got mixed reviews and I oh, couldn't I figure loved out it. why. I mean, she t- typically writes, um, you know, nonfiction books, but this is a fictionalized account of a, a young botanist who, you know, never marries and she's just got this wanderlust and she's the daughter of a wealthy Northeasterner. And so she travels all around the world when women were not traveling all over the world. And her particular specialty is moss. And so Elizabeth Gilbert, with her writing prowess, really um, helps you look at moss in a new way. But the book I'm finishing right now is called The The Food Explorer, and it's by David Smith. And it's about a real-life botanist and international traveler in the late 1800s named David Fairchild. And he's credited with introducing all kinds of different pomelos and dates and um, wheat strains. And, you know, basically he traveled all over the world on a ship 
for 20 years sending seedlings and, and cuttings of plants back to the U.S. And so, and, you know, really captures what was going on in the country at the end of the of that century and, and the turn into the industrial era and basically how globalization took place in our food supply and, and why America, you know, I, I'd never taken the, a moment to think about why Americans were so good at inventing things. I, w- mm. I wish I was as obsessed with anything as this person <laughs> is obsessed with a strain of fruit. No, but like you're so right, Addie. I'm. Um, I love the political history of bananas. When someone told me the real meaning or the origins of the term banana republic, I was like, whoa. And if you think about it, every single fruit has a story like that. Yeah. And so, yeah. if you at all are interested in that kind of stuff, I would recommend the Fruit Explorer by David Smith. And if you just like Elizabeth Gilbert, or you would prefer a fiction book for this summer, check out the Signature of All Things. Cool. Well, what's your story, Star Fruit? Yeah. <laughs> And if you just want a quick version of it, oh, really? I want to know. Was that it? Was that shade? <laughs> no, I really want to know what's the deal with Starfruit. You know, he did mention it in the book, but I don't have it in front of me, so I can't tell you. But there is a documentary. If you just want an hour and a half of this kind of nonsense, just look up the Fruit Hunters. Um, and Bill Pullman actually stars in this. He's Aww, he's a fruit hunter too, because cool. right now there's a whole like people travel all over the world just to try the craziest fruits that you and I have never heard of. So it's this whole, whole like you know sub topic of food yeah. people so that's why i'm interested Sweet. in it uh omar what do you have sir nothing as interesting as that that was awesome <laughs> yeah. uh let me see well i have two uh two netflix specials a comedy that you should be watching this is like required viewing i will accept no no uh brooch of, of this <laughs> i love a good assignment yeah so uh and they're ones you should you should have heard if you're a comedy nerd at all you've, you've already watched these or heard about them uh so john mulaney uh, the Comeback Yay. Kid at Radio City Music Hall um, and Ali Wong. Yay, uh, double yay. Her new, which is uh, Hard Knock Wife. It's very <laughs> special. Uh, both brand new specials on Netflix. Uh, the Mulaney one, I think, came out two weeks ago. The Ali Wong one came out on Mother's Day. So get on that. She's pregnant again. Oh, oh really? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to ask Sweet. about that. So here's the thing. I have not seen either of these specials. But I saw both performances of this material. So I saw John Mulaney at Moon Tower do this this special. Oh wow! This set of material, and I saw Ali Wong last year at Moon Tower do do her. You know, and both were just Killed. two of the best performances I've ever seen. I, Ali Wong's especially because, you know, if you saw Baby Cobra, it was all about everything up to that, up to her about to have a baby, capturing her husband. Now she's talking about <laughs> the real stuff that happens when you have a baby. And all of the motherhood stuff, and it is just and and the thing is like you think oh well it probably softened her up a little she's probably a little bit more emotional now no she is just as mean and harsh Body. and real talk about everything and the stuff she talks about to do with like motherhood and what it does to your marriage and nipples like it is real real stuff and Sweet. you will love if you've been through that you will love it it is so good. Uh, and the John Mulaney thing, the thing that surprised me about Mulaney is that there's still people that haven't heard of him. Uh, he I hosts- know. For being as like uh, prolific as he is, he has a way of flying under the radar. I, th- I feel like that's because he's also a writer. Yeah. And now yeah, everyone yeah. is aware of like his like writing, like what shows he's a part of. He was never in the SNL cast, but he, I think his voice, as much as anybody's, helped shape those years that he was on there, just as a head writer. Uh, and what really brings it home to me is that he was on SNL. He hosted recently and it had the lowest ratings of like any SNL episode for like the whole year. I'm like, it's Mulaney. He's amazing. And his monologue was incredible. And I was like, why are people watching this? I think it's because of that because people don't really know who he is yeah. if they're not a comedy nerd. So uh, Mulaney's specials as good or better than than his other comedy specials. Just He's just top notch 
great writing, great delivery. He's just, I, he's probably my favorite. Him and Ali Wong are probably my two favorite working comics today. So. And have, I love that pairing too because it's such two wildly different affects as comics mm-hmm. on stage. So yeah, I mean, the, and Mulaney. The thing I like about Mulaney is, and Ali Wong is that they both have such distinct voices that are so different from every other comedian. I mean, he's such a uh, beta male. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm going. You don't see a lot of beta male yeah. comics out there, and Ali yeah. Wong is so the opposite of what you think yes. you're going to get when yeah. you watch her. So yeah, both of those specials. Watch them. Netflix. Do it. They're great. Awesome. Netflix is killing the comedy game. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's so true. Okay, Tali, Tali. what are you okay. into? All right. I think everyone has probably heard of this by the time the show airs, but I just watched yesterday, This is America, the Childish Gambino music video. Have you seen it? Oh, yeah. Have you seen it? Okay. Well, like 20 times, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, do y'all think it's terribly nerdy to be getting into all of the, like, critical readings of the uh, music videos? That's what I did. Because I'm so into it. Yeah. Like, and... So I guess what I'm recommending is that if you live under a rock, please go watch This Is America, the music video, and then go look for some critical readings and look for the themes. Um, a theme that I've seen throughout is the framing of some of the camera shots that match up to Jim Crow era comics. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the pose with the gun and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. His facial expressions, too. And we should say this is Childish Gambino, who is Donald Glover, who is the guy who is... Uh, uh, Lando, Lando Calrissian. Atlanta. He's yeah. just so good at everything that he does, and he's like he's he's the son of Danny Glover, no. right? No. He's oh, he's not. not. No, no, no. Oh God. Okay. Because no, I was like, I was like, this is nepotism working out. <laughs> yeah. He did just host SNL, though. Although <sighs> I will say, it. so the New Yorker had a really great piece about but, Donald Glover, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think that that is a really important read, especially as we're processing that video. But also, when I watched him on SNL, I was like, oh my God, so many white people touched this. You can just tell really? whenever you watch it. When yeah. you because the New Yorker piece, Ted Friend wrote it, and it was about just how Atlanta has allowed him. And I think the video, the music video, is a perfect example of this to create unfettered by the filter of a white editor or a white producer. Yeah, and and that's just a really power. It's a different product than right. when you go through the Lorne Michael filter, for instance. Yeah, but. yeah. Oh, that's such a great point. And the director of the video is the, the director of like ninety percent of the episodes of Atlanta. It's oh. I was cool. I was just I was, I was just about to ask if like that. Um, because uh, th- that aesthetic, like they're very similar. So yeah, Hiro Morai is, is he's the editor. I mean, he directs. I mean, the ones that Donald Glover doesn't direct himself is he, typically he's the same director, and it, it's got a very similar fluid style to it. Yeah, that sort yeah. of deadpan against chaos. Right, vibe, right. Which yeah. Atlanta has a lot of that. Yeah. Well, and, I admit too. I just now started Atlanta after I watched This Is America. I was like, okay, I'm just gonna get on. Oh, Atlanta's fantastic. Yeah. Atlanta's so great, and Mike, like, I'm just amazed with the amount of talent this person has. I mean, like. I did see him do stand up though, you know, once Omar, and actually it wasn't that great. Oh. <laughs> no, so. he's, he's not a stand up comic. He's he, not a stand up comic. His background was started in st- sketch, like doing yeah. sketch YouTube videos. But I'll say something interesting that Joe Gross has pointed out to me from that. It might have been from the same article, was that, you know, this guy directs all these episodes of Atlanta, and then the one episode that Donald Glover directs, he gets the Emmy nomination and the Emmy win. Oh. And the guy was, and then when they were making that episode, the hero, the director was, you know, Donald Glover asked him for advice. He's like, you don't need my advice. You're good at everything. Damn it. Oh. <laughs> Can I ask yeah, Tali totally. that as a dancer, yeah. how did you, I mean, oh my his God. movement and he's his such an amazing possession dancer. of his body yeah. is just incredible. See, that's another thing he's not supposed to be good at, but he's great at. He's, like, he's so good. He's no. I mean, the thing, the way he like moves though, is it's very much owned, mm-hmm. you know, like I wouldn't even like, 
I don't know. It's like hard to classify it as a style. Like it's not like it's sort of hip hop. It's sort of like um, I don't know, clubby a little bit too, um, and sort of like um, James Brown. I feel like I see like some James Brown in his movement also, but like it's just very much owned. You know, it seems like this is like an organic. This is the way this person naturally moves. And I don't know if he just had a killer choreographer and worked on it a million times, or if it was on the fly, but. Yeah, he's so good. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for uh, all your toast, guys. Yeah. Great toast, everyone. That's our show. She's Addie. He's Omar. I'm Tali. Check out the Austin 360 Instagram and Facebook for more about life in Austin. And talk to us on Twitter at loveaustin360. If you liked what you heard today, leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. It helps other people discover the show. I Love You So Much, the Austin 360 podcast, is produced by Alyssa Vidales. The show is made with support from Features Editor Sharon Chapman and the entire Austin 360 staff. Our theme music is from local band Hardproof, which you should definitely check out at hardproofmusic.com. You can find more about the show and its contributors at austin360.com slash loveaustin360. And if you want to pitch an idea for the show or give us feedback, shoot us a note at loveaustin360 at statesman.com or leave a voicemail at 512-445-3672. This show is brought to you by our sponsor, Lexus of Austin. We couldn't do the show without you, dear listeners, and we can't thank you enough for lending us your ears, your comments, and your pre-summer snow cones. Until next week, we'll see you at a Round Rock Express game.